Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. In the midst of this season, in the midst of these times, in the midst of this cluster that is our country at the moment, to sing and to proclaim, all hail King Jesus. This opportunity for us to remember that Jesus is literally here to put the world to rights, that everything will be put back in order as his name is continually proclaimed throughout heaven and earth. And so this morning, I find a tremendous sense of comfort in singing that together as a body of people proclaiming that together as a church and as a people. This is my daughter, Elliot, and she's telling me, please, can I go hang out with Mr. Kent William and Story in the back? And the answer is yes. Go for it. (laughs) All righty. There it is. Those kiddos, I tell you. Yeah, yeah, he's up in the room. He's setting everything up. (laughs) Oh, he's totally here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're about to enter into this season of Thanksgiving, this season of holiday, this season of gratitude and giving thanks and pushing forward into family time. And we all have that crazy uncle, right? When you're sitting around the table and you're just like, oh, I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know what he's going to bring up. We all have that crazy uncle. A friend of mine was telling me a story not too long ago of his crazy uncle, and he was telling him how they gathered together every Christmas for church, and his uncle didn't really go to church very often. He really went on the high holy days of Easter and Christmas. He called himself, I'm a Cheester Christian. Christmas and Easter, Cheester, right? That's just what I do. And, and so he was sitting next to his uncle in church in this gathering, in this space, and the uncle like, is, is like nudging his, his nephew quite a bit throughout the course of it, just kind of bothering him here and there. And he's like, dude, like we're supposed to be quiet. You're going to get me in trouble, all this sort of stuff. Well, they got to this moment in the service of offering, right? And they're passing the plates around. And he sees his uncle pull out some money out of the offering plate, like just slips it out. And as he slips it out, the plate passes by and the The nephew was like, what did he just do? And as the the plate makes its way through, the service ends. And as they're leaving, the nephew is like super concerned that his uncle just lifted cash out of the offering plate. And his uncle comes up to his nephew and he says, he says, he he pulls out of his pocket. He pulls, he pulls, he goes, goes, how much do you get? He pulls it out, begins to make his way through the cash in his pocket and says, how much did you get? And his nephew's like, no, 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 no. That is not the purpose of offering. And for years upon years, his nephew thought that his uncle lifted cash out of the Christmas offering that was supposed to go to the local shelter. He thought terrible terrible, awful things about his uncle. And one day, when he was about 25, 26 years old, he finally confronted his uncle. He's like, Uncle Jim, like, 
dude, it's been bothering me for a long time. Like, you, you lifted cash out of the offering. He goes, what? He goes, I mean, I was like 12, 13 years old, and we, we sat down at church, and like the offering plate passed by, and I saw you pull money out. And then we got outside, and you said, how much money did you get? He goes, he goes oh, that's what you thought I did, huh? Like, you believed me the whole time. He goes, well, didn't you? He goes, no. He said, I saw you weren't looking, and I put in $40, and I grabbed 20 bucks of it back out. And, and, then I, and that's what you saw me do, was pull out half of what I had put in. Oh, my goodness. Like, he was completely freaked out at what was going on. And I sit here thinking, I'm like, oh, yeah, that about makes sense, right? Like, it's just like these stories of this uncomfortable nature with which we treat offering within our church, within the church. I remember growing up, the offering plate was a big deal for me. It also came right before communion. The offering plate would get passed by, and every week I would nudge my dad. and be like, hey, dad, give me some money. You know, I'm like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, right? Dad, give me some money. And my dad would reach into his pocket and give me a dollar bill. And I felt so awesome because I got to throw in the money. And then later on, the communion plate would pass. Like right after the offering plate would come the communion tray. And I'd be like, awesome, I paid for my snack. Right? That was, that's how I understood things because offering came right before communion. But everything that my dad was doing in that moment was trying to teach me, trying to strengthen and stretch my generosity muscle. Right, This idea that I have something to give even though it wasn't mine. I wasn't getting an, an allowance or anything like that. But I was, I was trying out this generosity muscle thanks to my dad. When I got into high school, my consumer economics teacher, anybody take consumer economics in high school? Because I feel like this is a short-lived thing. Right? Yeah. Like, everyone's like, what is consumer economics? Basically, when I was in high school back in the day, uh, consumer economics was a class where you learned how to deal with personal finance. It was just a personal finance class. You learned how to balance a checkbook. And some of you are like, what's a checkbook? Right? Yeah. We learned how to balance a checkbook, which then was like the coolest thing in the world because it's pre-debit card, right? And then you're like, it's like you're, we're old. We're old. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day. So we would learn how to balance a checkbook. We would learn how to create savings accounts. And we actually had to go open a savings account at the bank if we didn't have one and prove that we had one. Like this was kind of the idea of it. It was also a class of just economics. Like you learned a little bit about how economic systems and structures worked. We learned about socialism. We learned about Marxism. We learned about capitalism. We learned about unrestrained capitalism. We learned about all these different things and how that works together in our society and in our culture. It's a really great class. Well, I remember the teacher that one day was talking to us about personal finance, and he said, this is how you need to set up your personal finances for the rest of your life. I was like, great, whatever. How do I get an A? Like, this was tagged along with driver's ed. Like, these two classes were smushed together into one semester, right? And so it was 80% is your money. Do whatever you want with it. But 10% of it needs to go into savings. Definitely save 10%. But your first 10% needs to be given away. Give away 10% of the money that you make. Give it to wherever you want. And he said, for me, it's giving it away to my church. And I was like, whoa, you said that in public school. 
right? Snap, teacher talking about church and public school. What is going on? It was, it was the weirdest moment. I was like, I've never heard this before. I mean, I've heard of tithing, but I had never heard of it in terms of your own personal finances, that this is just a thing that you do in normal consumer economics. And he began to back it up left and right with statistics. This is why you should do this. This is the wise thing to do. This is how money works in a capitalistic society, that we give away money as a way of helping others get up and off their feet and moving forward. It was fascinating. He was basically telling us that giving is a good thing, that giving anything and everything that you possibly can is a good thing that not only benefits society, but it benefits you as well. You begin to live more and more within your means as a person, as an individual. Our stewardship of our money as a people, our stewardship of our money and possessions becomes the story of our lives. We talked about this a little bit last week, that our stewardship of our possession and our, of our possessions and our money becomes the story of our lives. And the question that I ask is, what is the story that you're writing with your life? What is the story that you are beginning to write and cultivate and create with your money and with your possessions? What story are we writing? <coughs> Last week, we talked about basic giving, that, that it's a start, that, that just give anything you can to just get started. Give something, anything, even if it's a dollar. It's not a big deal. But the idea is that you're just giving something to start that, that, that train of generosity. You're beginning to strengthen that muscle of generosity within your own system, within your own body, within your own self. And you just simply start giving regularly. That, that it's a regular act of giving. It's, if it's I'm giving a dollar, it's I'm giving a dollar every single week. Or if I'm giving $10, I'm giving $10 every single month. And that's just the regularity of it to get started in that process of exercising that muscle of giving, that muscle of generosity. It's setting a stage for a generous heart. It's working that muscle over and over and over as we begin to write this brand new story of our lives. Now, this brings us to the second part of the art of giving. It's really the art of tithing, what it means to actually move our giving, to increase our giving from just giving a little bit regularly to actually moving towards this idea of giving 10% of our income back to God, giving back to God the, the first fruits of what it is that he is giving us, the very first bit of our income. It's tithing. Now, Consumer economics is a really good place to start for me. Like That's where I really began to learn this idea of tithing. I didn't learn it in the church. Even though I grew up in the church, I learned tithing from consumer economics. And it lay dormant throughout the rest of high school. It laid dormant throughout all of college until... Tracy and I got married. You know, we've been married for almost coming up on 17 years. Yeah, woo. Uh, we've been married for a little bit, and in the midst of that, when we first got married, we were not a wealthy people. I'm not sure we're a wealthy people. Well, we're a wealthy people in comparison to some, but we're not a wealthy people, right? And man, when we first got married, she was working 
like as an office administrator, like a front desk person at a digestive disease clinic, <laughs> digestive disease consultants kind of thing. Like she was, she was working for doctors that do like colonoscopies kind of thing and making min like just a little bit over minimum wage. And back in the day, minimum wage was like five and a quarter. So she was making like six fifty an hour. It was great. And I was making about a hundred-ish dollars a week, give or take, working part-time in a drug rehab center. And like these were the these were our normal jobs. We were pulling in about $125 to $150 a week, give or take. Like it was not a lot of money. But I remember when we first got married, we had the conversation. I think we should actually start this practice of tithing in our marriage. Like, let's just start. And so $125 a week was $12.50, right? Which for us, we were living on basically macaroni and cheese, and on a special night, we threw some hot dogs in there for me, right? Like, it was great. Like, we had graduated from ramen noodles. Now, I know ramen now is like, you can't get ramen for under like 20 bucks a plate, it seems like, which is ridiculous because back in college, you get it for a quarter. Like you get ramen, like you go go to the grocery store. Oh, who cares? It was twenty five cents, and you throw it in the water, and you were like, boom, or you throw it in the microwave, and you're like, boom, I got me some ramen. You, you sprinkle your little chicken chicken flavor pack on there, a quarter. Man, I was I, I, that was living large in college. I'm telling you, like it was four nights of like ramen for a dollar. I'm like, boom, I got dinner, right, or a great snack. So we, would, we had graduated to the macaroni and cheese, and every so often we'd make a nice lasagna that would last us for like two, three nights. This was living. This was life. We didn't have a whole lot, but we began that process of tithing back to God with the, with the very first amount of whatever it was that we were making, about $12.50 a week. We would, we would, Tracy was doing all our finances, would sit down and write that check, and would be like, ooh, because that's when you still wrote checks. And it was like, whoa, this is, this is rough. Like, it was tough. It was a very difficult first muscle for us. But we began that process of just giving 10% back to God, to, to the church that we were attending. We were just giving 10%, $12.50 every week. Difficult. What's really fascinating is this idea of tithing is really, really countercultural. I, I don't know if you know this, but there's some pretty interesting statistics about the church that the average Christian only gives two and a half percent of their income away. Not just to the church, but in general. Only two and a half percent. The average Christian in America only gives two and a half percent of their income away. What's really fascinating about that is in ancient Israel, the average ancient Israelite gave away 23% of their income, right? It's just super fascinating, this idea that, that we gave a whole lot less than a people who were way less fortunate than we are. In fact, Randy Alcorn said this in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. When we as New Testament believers living in a far more affluent society than ancient Israel give only a fraction of that given by the poorest Old Testament believers, we surely must reevaluate. We surely must reevaluate. Tithing, giving, generosity, those things are actually a heart issue. 
It's, it, it's, it's at play right here at the very core of our being. Who we are as a people. Are we a people that hold tightly to our money, to our possessions, to our things, to our stuff? Or are we way more comfortable releasing and letting go of it and allowing God to do amazing work with what it is that he has blessed us with? Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus talks about this link that is at play between money and possessions and our heart. That there's actually like this really strong link between the two. That how we are developed, how we are created, how we are people, there's a tie and a link between our money and our heart. In fact, Jesus says time and again, like, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will love one and hate the other, or you will hate, despise one and love the other. There is a very strong linkage between the two, between money and our possessions. In fact, this is what Jesus, Jesus understood this so much. These are the statistics of how much Jesus talked about money. That around 25% of all Jesus' teachings in the gospel relate to money. Around 25%. And 11 of the 39 parables, that's almost 33% of the parables that he told in Luke, are about money. And one in seven, in every seven verses in Luke, Jesus talks about money. There is like this super crazy strong linkage between money and possessions. And Jesus is laying it out there to say, no, 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 here's the deal. Like you as an individual, you as a person, how you use your money, how you give your money away, how you deal and wrestle with money affects who you are at the very core of your being. If you want to be truly formed in the ways of Jesus, we have to begin exercising that muscle of giving which is why we talked about it last week. This is oftentimes a step for us as a people, that we have to just start giving, start giving, but it doesn't end there. We have to begin then to move more towards obedience and what God asks of us and move towards that 10% mark. But here's the thing, it actually doesn't end there either because the New Testament is full of examples, full of stories of what it means for us to be a people that are generous with everything that we have. And we'll talk about that next week as we close out our series, The Art of Giving. We are shaped by the things that we treasure. And so the question is, what story are you writing with your money? What story are you writing in your life with your possessions? What is the story that you are creating? What is the legacy that you are trying to leave? So we want to start simple and small, but we can't stay there. Financial advisors, my consumer ec teacher was kind of right, right? He said 80% is all yours, 10% to savings, 10% to, uh, to giving it away. My consumer ec teacher was partly right, but now financial advisors are saying that the better idea is to actually live on 70%. 70%. You save or you live off 70% of what you have and 10% you give away. You're generous with it. You do something else with it and giving it away to others. But then another 10% you actually use to pay off debt. And if you don't have debt, you actually use that 10% to invest. And then the final 10% is something that you just save. You create these three different buckets of, of, of debt payoff or investment or as well as savings and giving away. But it always 
includes that component of giving it away, of actually giving away 10% of what it is that you have. These are the ideas that financial advisors are trying to push people towards, that it's about giving and creating a new story with your life. If you ever pay attention to the commercials of, of like, uh, like, like the financial service commercials that are on TV, they always talk about like, what, do you, what is the story that you're wanting to create with your money? Right? It's like, oh, well, we wanted to do this with it, but now, because of this windfall or because of these things that have happened, we actually want to retire early. Can I retire early? Right? It's, it's these sorts of questions, like what is the story that you're wanting to write? And financial advisors are beginning to lean heavily into that idea of, oh, yeah, you can write these really beautiful stories with your life of retirement. But Jesus doesn't talk that way. Jesus doesn't talk that way about the stories that we're writing with our lives. It's, it's not about, oh, I can retire by the time I'm 40. I, I, can, I, can, I can do the grind. I can work and work and work and work and retire by the time I'm 40. It's, it's something vastly different. It's a different type of story that you get to write with the finances that you have. What is it that you want to do with that to create a legacy or a better story or show people the beauty and the generosity of this God that we serve? In the book of uh, 1 John, it was a letter. John wrote this. He said, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all it's wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. All of these words of John, what, what, what I find fascinating is this is a letter written by John who described himself as the, the one whom Jesus loved. In, in the Gospel of John, the, the same author of these letters, the Gospel of John, he writes over and over and over again. He never names himself. He just says, I'm the one whom Jesus loved. He has such a connection with Jesus, such a, such a tie-in to who he is because of how he lived such a generous life and began to push away from the money and the possessions of the world, not allowing it to control him, but to reorchestrate it in this beautiful story surrounding him and giving. I remember a few years ago, I was preaching on a giving series. I only do this a couple times a year. Even though it's extremely important, it's also really difficult. (laughs) I'll just, I'll acknowledge the elephant in the room. It's a difficult thing to talk about. It's a difficult thing to preach about. Uh, A few years ago, we were going through this series, and we had, we had a few homeless people that were a part of our community, and it was one of those moments where I was just like, don't give, don't give, don't give, right? But there was one guy, his name was Michael, and Michael was, like, he was really tall. He was like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, and he, he came up to me at, at the end of the service and he handed me, we were still doing offering envelopes. Today we just do everything online, right? Because it's a whole lot easier because nobody has checkbooks or cash. He hands me an offering envelope and he says, here, I, I, I want to give. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. What? No, you don't have to, right? Like, I got really apologetic. He goes, no, 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 no. I heard everything you said. Like, and I want, I want to be released from this idea that money controls me, that, that I'm being controlled by money, and I, I, I want to give. 
I was like, dude, that, that's amazing. He goes, and I'm going to start right away with this whole tithing thing. I'm going to give 10%. I was like, 10% of what? Like, like that's exactly what went through the back of my head. Like, <laughs> he, he, he lived in a single renter occupancy building, like, it was like, which is basically like you have, you have one room. It's like a studio apartment, but way smaller. And you share a bathroom in the hallway with a bunch of other people. So I looked at I was like, you're, you're going to tithe? Like, he's, yeah, like, I get Social Security every month. That's the only way I live. I live off of Social Security. And I'm going to give 10% of that every single month. And I was like, oh, wow, that's okay. Amazing. Here's this man who has virtually nothing, has, has way less than I do. And he is all in on this idea of I'm, I'm going to give. And sure enough, he did it every single month. He gave 10% of his Social Security income every single month back to the church and said, no, I, this is a place where not only do I feel like God is challenging me and changing me and forming me, but this is a place that, that I want to I invest in. I want to see what God can do in this space and in this place. I was like, Michael, you're kind of ridiculous, and I love you for it, and that's really beautiful and really amazing. But this is the idea of what giving is, that it begins to not only change who we are as people, like, like it, it doesn't only change the giver, but it changes the receiver. And I wasn't the receiver, it was the church that was a receiver. And all of a sudden, people started to notice what Michael was contributing in and throughout the church, not because he was really big and boisterous about it, but they just recognized that this man was, was changing his entire demeanor. He, he, he was a man that had struggled quite a bit with addiction and with, with, with other challenges in his life, and they started to see a lot of that stuff go because he had started not only exercising that muscle of generosity, but that that muscle of generosity was also helping him to let go of all sorts of other things as he found himself connecting more and more with the heart of God. That there's something that takes place in our heart. There's such a crazy connection between money and our heart. Now, I don't quite understand it, but, and, and I, that's probably why it's so hard to talk about this stuff. But all I can say is that when you begin to give, when you begin to set out in that direction, you change in some really remarkable ways. And that's what Jesus calls us towards. Jesus wants to see us be a transformed people. Jesus doesn't want us to, be, to just sit in our own selves and be the same all the time. Jesus wants us to be changed and transformed more and more in his image and more and more in his likeness. And that's why he starts in this area of generosity, of giving, of giving of giving more and more and more of who we are and of what we have so that we can be changed and transformed more into his likeness, the one who gave it all, as we sang earlier, the one who paid it all for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son. And we thank you for what it is that he did for us and the example that he set, the example that he leads. Oh, Father, may we continue in his likeness. May we continue to be changed and transformed as a generous people, giving more and more of who we are to your work so that we may see your kingdom extended. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.